The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Ignoring impeachment won't make it go away. Welcome to my weekly report for Thursday, October 10th, 2019. Thank you for listening to this independent news, which appreciates your support through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. There was breaking news as this report was being released. Two Florida business associates of Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani have been arrested and taken into custody on alleged federal felony campaign finance violations. The two donated over $325,000 to a political action committee supporting Trump. The man allegedly assisted in Giuliani's efforts on Trump's behalf to coerce Ukraine into investigating Joe Biden. There will be more detail in the coming hours and days, and I'll have it all for you here in next week's report. The White House says it's through cooperating with the House impeachment inquiry. No more documents, no more witnesses. But that White House announcement, in the form of a long letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, goes further than that. The letter declares war on impeachment and calls the inquiry illegal, unfair, unprecedented, without merit, unconstitutional, and illegitimate. Written by Trump's White House lawyers, the letter does not provide any legal arguments to back up its claims, indicating there may not be any. The letter says this impeachment inquiry is nothing more than an attempt to, quote, overturn the 2016 election. Trump and the Republicans who parrot him are calling the inquiry a kangaroo court. The White House is refusing to comply with congressional subpoenas for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the Pentagon, Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani, U.S. Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland, the White House Budget Office, and the White House itself. Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, who's leading the impeachment inquiry, says the White House is essentially saying the president is above the law. The Constitution says otherwise, says Schiff. But the White House is saying just that publicly now, as well as in court, claiming the president is above the law. In their eight-page letter to Pelosi, White House lawyers are also demanding the full House take an impeachment vote before continuing its hearings. But the White House is making no promises that it would cooperate even after that vote. That's how it went down in both the Nixon and Clinton impeachments, but it's not a law. The Constitution merely gives the power of impeachment to Congress without laying out the specifics. Impeachment can be whatever the House says it is. Adam Schiff is reminding the president that failure to turn over documents was one of the articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon and that obstruction of Congress is an impeachable offense. So is abusing presidential power. If lawmakers don't think they can wait on the courts any longer, they may vote to impeach soon just on these grounds, although there is so much more. Get a good seat to watch history unfold. The constitutional battle between two of our three branches of government escalated this week, and there is no turning back. Last week, Trump was saying he would take part in the impeachment inquiry, adding, I always cooperate and promising he'd work together with House Democrats. That all changed after congressional investigators were given text messages that show Trump is lying when he says there was no quid pro quo in withholding military aid to Ukraine and a coveted visit to the White House for Ukraine's new president in exchange for a Ukrainian investigation of Trump political rival Joe Biden. Trump was furious about the release of those damning text messages. Although the impeachment committees worked through a two-week break for the rest of Congress, other lawmakers returned to Washington on Monday, some of them to hear the testimony of Trump's EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland. 
Sondland had been in Europe but flew back to the States over the weekend with plans to cooperate with a House request that he be deposed about the Ukraine scandal on the same Monday that Congress reconvened. It's easy to understand why House investigators are so eager to speak with Gordon Sondland. When Trump withheld $400 million in military aid to Ukraine, America's then special envoy to Ukraine texted Sondland, it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a campaign. Five hours later, Sondland replied, the president has been crystal clear, no quid pro quos of any kind. In the five hours between those two texts, Sondland had spoken with the president. Sondland, who's been quoted by Trump as saying no quid pro quo, was fed that line by Trump himself so that he and others could repeat it as if it were evidence. It isn't. After voluntarily flying back to the States to be deposed, Sondland was told by the State Department he could not. Sondland's testimony was blocked again this week, this time by the White House at the last minute. House lawmakers then immediately subpoenaed Sondland to hand over his documents on Ukraine by Monday and to appear for that deposition on Wednesday of next week. Don't expect Sondland to obey either subpoena. The White House now plans to defy all subpoenas, setting up a constitutional battle that could lead directly to impeachment or court battles or both. Lawmakers are threatening to find Sondland and others in contempt of Congress for ignoring legal subpoenas, knowing they already have everything they need to hold that impeachment vote at any time, even without more documents or testimony. And the administration's plan to fight in court and to ignore the impeachment process does not necessarily delay Congress in its work, and it will not stop the impeachment process. In blocking the deposition of EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland, who was reportedly willing to testify, the president was showing what prosecutors call consciousness of guilt. Legally speaking, blocking testimony is that time-tested impeachable offense known as obstruction of Congress. Gordon Sondland is a Trump political appointee with no previous government experience, but a big Trump campaign donor who works for Mike Pompeo's State Department. With his background as a hotel manager... Sondland has been actively involved in shaping U.S. foreign policy to Trump's liking, including now getting a Ukrainian investigation of Joe Biden. And not just an investigation to root out corruption, as Trump has claimed, but also getting the Ukrainian's president announcement of an investigation, which serves only one purpose, Trump's re-election campaign against Joe Biden. Trump's diplomats even drew up a prepared statement for Zelensky to read publicly. It was Gordon Sondland who has tried to tamp down the concerns of fellow diplomats that Trump was trading foreign policy for political favors. When a top U.S. diplomat asked Sondland whether security assistance in a White House meeting are conditioned on the Ukrainian investigation of Biden, Trump's representative replied, Call me. I suggest we stop the back-and-forth texts. A phone call doesn't leave a paper trail. In one of the texts, Sondland explained that Trump needed the deliverable before Ukraine would get what it needed, that nearly $400 million in military aid and a politically important visit to the White House. No wonder lawmakers really want to hear from Gordon Sondland, but not just Sondland. Heard from the White House, wrote then-special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, to a Zelensky advisor in those texts released last week. Assuming President Z convinces Trump he'll investigate, Volker continued, we will nail down a date for a visit to Washington. No wonder Volker was the first witness in the impeachment inquiry. Quid, meet quo. 
Not that a quid pro quo was ever even necessary. It is illegal to seek foreign help with a campaign, period, full stop. The now visible quid pro quo is just icing on the cake. A majority of Americans are now giving a thumbs up to the House impeachment inquiry, 58% and rising, according to a Washington Post Shar School poll. About half think the House should vote to remove him from office. That kind of public opinion puts Trump's fate into the hands of a Republican-controlled Senate, which trembles in fear of the wrath of Trump voters. Meanwhile, the growing number of Republican voters favors the impeachment inquiry, with 20% favoring a House vote to remove him from office. And by the numbers, Trump voters are not as strong in their support of him as Democrats are in their opposition to him. Of the 46% of voters who went for Trump, only 24% are diehard supporters. The other 21% of Trump voters are watching to see what happens next. Trump's base is not as big as we have come to believe, and there's a ton of polling data now to back that up. And a new Fox News poll shows that 55% of registered voters want the impeachment to go forward and that 51% of them also want him removed from office. And that's the Fox News poll. There are also the results of the 2018 midterm elections in which the Trump states of Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin elected Democratic senators and governors. Big-name Republicans who aren't in office or running for office are increasingly critical of Trump. But Republicans in Congress are mostly either paralyzed and saying nothing, afraid to be the zebra that wanders from the pack only to be eaten by the lion in the White House, Republicans who have criticized Trump are paying a price for it politically. Trump has led the charge against Mitt Romney, who's dared to criticize Trump's Ukraine scheme, and Trump voters follow in lockstep to what he says. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley got raked over the coals by members of his own party for defending the whistleblower. A conservative website accused Republican Nebraska Senator Ben Sass of, quote, stabbing Trump in the back after he criticized Trump's tweet warning of a civil war if he's impeached. A few Republicans are fiercely defending Trump with attacks instead of answers. An actual defense is impossible, and that shows. There's a lot of soul-searching underway right now among Senate Republicans. These new poll numbers tell them that public opinion is changing quickly. With a growing majority of Americans supporting impeachment, stay tuned. Nearly everyone could see that the emperor had been parading around in the nude, bragging about his new threads, but the people closest to him and everyone else were afraid to speak at first. The emperor was as vengeful as he was vain. It wasn't until a child, who either didn't understand or care about the risk of speaking, shouted that the emperor's new clothing wasn't clothing at all, that he was in fact buck naked. And then realizing the kid is right realizing it is better to speak the truth and to play the game of praising the emperor's new duds, the rest of the people began to speak up, one by one at first, and then in greater numbers. It wasn't until then that everyone finally admitted that the emperor was as bare as the day he was born. The ruse was finally as exposed as the emperor himself, and the game was over. It was over when that little child in Hans Christian Andersen's parable blew the whistle, and others began to chime in. Ever since a member of the U.S. intelligence community blew the whistle on Trump's offer to trade tax dollars on a White House visit for foreign help with his re-election campaign, he and his Republicans have relied mainly on this defense. 
that this rogue actor was not on the phone when Trump made the offer Ukraine couldn't refuse and is therefore accusing the president based on secondhand information. Hearsay, declared Trump, quickly echoed by Senator Lindsey Graham and other Republicans. Hearsay, they said. Hearsay, according to prosecutors, is how nearly all investigations begin. But despite the claims about secondhand hearsay, witnesses and documents have surfaced in the past two weeks that only support the whistleblower's claims, not dispute them. None of the whistleblower's claims have been disproven, and most, if not all, have been proven correct. The White House's own rough transcript of that July 25th call that was quickly squirreled away in a super-secret computer confirms this credible and urgent whistleblower complaint. So do the damaging text messages between Trump diplomats that show a much-coveted meeting with the U.S. president was only possible if Zelensky publicly announced an investigation of Joe Biden that's based on an already disproven conspiracy theory. Statements made by the White House, Trump himself, and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, have also supported the whistleblower's claims, whether they meant for that to happen or not. And nothing in the whistleblower law says the misconduct complaint has to be based on first-hand knowledge anyway. The law encourages those in government who witness wrongdoing to come forward. We got new information from that whistleblower this week in the form of a memo he had written the day after that call between Trump and Zelensky, something that wasn't in his official whistleblower complaint. Specifically, this memo was written right after the whistleblower had spoken with a White House official who was in on that phone call from start to finish. The whistleblower describes the White House official as being visibly shaken by that July 25th call, that official calling the conversation both crazy and frightening. Quoting this newly revealed memo from the whistleblower, the official stated that there was already a conversation underway with White House lawyers about how to handle the discussion because, in the official's view, the president had clearly committed a criminal act by urging a foreign power to investigate a U.S. person for the purposes of advancing his own re-election bid in 2020, end quote. It was this memo, along with the whistleblower's complaint and an investigation by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, that led him to conclude that the complaint was both credible and urgent. And now a second whistleblower has stepped up to file a complaint of his own, a CIA agent who was on the line with Trump and Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky a first-hand account from an official who also witnessed Trump's international bribe offer in betrayal of U.S. national security. Also, a lawyer who represents both whistleblowers says he now also represents other government officials who were ready to step forward. The emperor's protective clothing has fallen to the ground and people have started to speak up, one by one at first, apparently followed by others. The president is still boasting about his protective clothing. And while the vast majority of Republicans keep telling him what a fine suit it is, the rest of us are looking to those who have spoken up and those who are about to. And it comes during an impeachment inquiry for a gross abuse of presidential powers and for the extremely serious crime of risking national security and squeezing a foreign government for help against his political rival, a U.S. citizen, in our 2020 election. Trump has drifted, as he does, from saying the whistleblower complaint is a traitorous lie to saying there's nothing wrong with his pressuring Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden's family. In fact, he's stepped out into broad daylight to urge both Ukraine and now China to investigate the American he believes to be the greatest threat to his reelection. 
He said he might also make a phone call to China's President Xi Jinping about this. The fact is that Trump has already groused to Xi about Biden in June, according to two White House officials on that call who have spoken anonymously to CNN. That call, like the one the White House released last week, is stored in that super-secret national security computer. China, we must note, is a repressive authoritarian government that abuses human rights on a massive scale and, as a fierce U.S. adversary, cannot be allowed to investigate any American ever. Again, Trump was abusing his presidential powers by, with a wink and a nod, offering China a better trade deal in exchange for a little something on Joe Biden, even if it's false. I have a lot of options on China, said Trump, but if they don't do what we want, we have tremendous power. What he wants is a little dirt, the same false dirt he wants from Ukraine, only this time he was doing it publicly, instead of on a phone call that made White House aides so nervous they tucked it away in a super-secret computer reserved for national secrets with apparently a lot of other damning conversations the president's had with foreign leaders, including Vladimir Putin. They should investigate the Bidens, said the president in broad daylight, which, by the way, still makes it a crime. Federal Election Commission Chair Ellen Weintraub issued this public statement four months ago and retweeted it this week. Quoting her, It is illegal for any person to solicit, accept, or receive anything of value from a foreign national in connection with a U.S. election. Our founding fathers sounded the alarm about foreign interference and influence. They knew that when foreign governments seek to influence American politics, it is always to advance their own interests, not America's. Anyone who solicits or accepts foreign assistance risks being on the wrong side of a federal investigation. End quote. What Trump thinks he wants from Ukraine, China, and any other country that might be listening, doesn't exist. There is no evidence that Ukraine has a server full of Hillary Clinton emails, as Trump has told Ukraine's president he believes. Still focused on 2016, Trump sent Rudy Giuliani to speak with a Ukrainian prosecutor who has a long history of using the law as a political weapon, a prosecutor with no formal legal training. Mr. Lysensko was called out for his corruption by the recently resigned U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, who will be testifying for Congress soon, we think. Yovanovitch had stormed out of Lutsenko's office after he barked, no one is going to dictate to me who will be investigated. Trump and Giuliani chose to believe this corrupt prosecutor, Yuri Lutsenko, over senior American diplomats who'd warned that Lutsenko was not the guy to consult, that he's not to be trusted because he's out for revenge against Ambassador Yovanovitch. Rudy and Lutsenko also talked about how they think imprisoned Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort was set up by Clinton supporters, all because he worked for the pro-Putin government that recently controlled Ukraine. Trump and Giuliani see that storyline as a path to proving that Manafort is innocent, thereby proving that Trump's campaign and Russia are innocent too. Trump has never ruled out pardoning Manafort, who's doing seven and a half years for eight felonies, and Manafort continues to stand by Trump, waiting for a pardon. We've just learned this week that Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has been in touch with Manafort through his lawyer. We now know this about Giuliani and Litsenko thanks to notes from their meetings back in January, notes that are now in the hands of House impeachment investigators. There is, meanwhile, no evidence to support Trump's claims about Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or Ukraine or China and the claims he's made 
have all been soundly disproven. Trump's claims were further undercut this past week as a letter from 2016 surfaced showing that Republicans stood alongside Joe Biden three years ago in pushing for corruption reforms in Ukraine, meaning it wasn't just Joe doing this for his son, as Trump and so many Republicans have falsely claimed. Trump and a number of Republicans, including Wisconsin Congressman Jim Jordan, are relying on an even bigger conspiracy theory that a deep state Democratic plot is behind all of Trump's troubles. Most concerning is that a man who believes deeply in the so-called deep state is one of the president's most trusted advisors, Stephen Miller. But a former advisor to Trump who developed the description deep state as a political tool says he never meant to say it was a conspiracy. In a book by a separate author, Steve Bannon is now quoted as saying, Deep state conspiracy is for nutcases. You realize, said Bannon, that none of this is true. I do not take this step lightly, said Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings as the impeachment inquiry began. We're not fooling around, said Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, who warned Trump not to obstruct the impeachment investigation into Trump's coercion of a foreign government to produce dirt on a political opponent. Lawmakers intend to find out who did what to hold up military aid to Ukraine while Trump made his little request for dirt on Biden. The impeachment inquiry is barely over two weeks old, and already we're in a showdown so long as the White House ignores its subpoenas. Logic dictates the administration cannot block the deposition tomorrow of former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. The White House, however, says it will try to stop her from appearing. Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, says he'll ignore his subpoena, adding, let them hold me in contempt. We'll go to court to challenge the contempt ruling. Experts on our Constitution say the future of this fragile democracy hangs in the balance now. Will Congress carry out its constitutionally required duty to oversee the executive branch? Will it act as a check and balance on this and future presidents, as explained so eloquently in the musical Hamilton? Or will our government have an executive branch that's more authoritarian, one in which it's okay for a president to squeeze other countries to help him beat down his political enemies and not to have to answer to Congress for it? Which kind of government do we think Trump wants? How all this goes down will determine the future of this democratic republic. In just one week, Trump made it a point to congratulate China on its 70th anniversary as a communist country. He tweeted a popular but unpresidential barnyard epithet, in all caps, of course. And we learned he wanted snakes and gators in a moat alongside his border wall and flesh-piercing spikes on top of that wall. He went off on Pelosi and Schiff and his fake news in front of an uncomfortable president of Finland, complete with a jockstrap reference, good times. He told 66 lies this week, just about impeachment. He gave a reporter a gangster-like response when he was asked what he hoped Ukraine would get on Biden. You talking to me? demanded the president. Not to mention pressing Britain, Italy, and Australia to join his efforts to discredit the Russia investigation that left its own stain on his presidency. Still focused on 2016 while desperate to win in 2020. In a tweet about Turkey and Syria, Trump wrote seriously about what he believes is his, quote, great and unmatched wisdom consumed now by impeachment instead of by governing, Trump spends his days tweeting 
and calling allies, calling Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell up to three times a day, usually to warn that he'll step up his attacks on Republicans who criticize him. Senator Romney's criticism has really gotten under Trump's skin. Trump's own presidential campaign is sending him into a series of campaign rallies throughout this weekend, hoping he'll vent his frustrations there instead of inside the White House. It was, as usual, quite a week with more talk about Trump's mental fitness, more than usual. The president of Finland got few chances to speak during his White House appearance, during his uncomfortable photo op with Trump. At the end of it, he said, Mr. President, you have here a great democracy. Keep it going. A former Democratic congressman from New York, Joe Crowley, told The Guardian he's worried about the rest of the world. Quoting Crowley, they know this president is erratic and not very trustworthy, but they also know he cannot discern between right and wrong. The whole world is looking at this and is disturbed that something like this could happen to America. And, said Crowley, we need to end it before it goes any further. This week, a federal judge ordered Trump to turn over to New York state prosecutors in Manhattan eight years of his tax returns. Those prosecutors, like others, want Trump's returns as they investigate an apparent campaign finance violation in hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. Trump went to court to block the prosecutor's subpoena. His lawyers argued that a president cannot be the subject of a criminal investigation. The judge ordered Trump to obey the subpoena and rejected Trump's can't-be-investigated argument as, quote, repugnant to the nation's constitutional values. Trump's lawyers quickly filed an appeal, of course, putting the judge's order on temporary hold. Trump is also suing to stop congressional efforts to get the tax records he so desperately wants to keep hidden. His William Barr Justice Department is offering assistance in every one of Trump's personal lawsuits against his accusers. The Inspector General of the Treasury Department, meanwhile, is investigating the IRS handling of Trump's tax returns. The question to be answered, whether the Trump administration acted improperly in withholding those tax returns from Congress instead of turning them over as required by law. There's a court fight over that also, but these kinds of fights have never been settled that way. Besides, the wheels of justice turn slowly, which is another reason Congress has started moving faster on impeachment. But the latest wrinkle involves that IRS whistleblower who filed a complaint that at least one Treasury official had tried to interfere with the routine audit of the president's tax returns. And House Democrats are now urging a federal judge to release the grand jury testimony from the Mueller investigation. Lawmakers say they need that testimony as they prepare articles of impeachment against Donald Trump. They want to know what Trump knew about Russia's interference in the 2016 election. They also want the FBI's interview notes from their chats with former White House counsel Don McGahn. And it appears they will now get those. They will. The judge says so. Mainly, lawmakers are looking for evidence of obstruction of justice, and they are likely to find several instances of it in those FBI interviews with McGahn. Grand jury testimony is normally only released to other judicial proceedings, not to Congress. But in 1974, during the impeachment of Richard Nixon, Judge John Sirica gave Congress access to grand jury materials, ruling that an impeachment inquiry is a judicial proceeding and that the Constitution says the House can do impeachment any way it wants. In court this week, a Justice Department lawyer said the president takes the position that Judge Sirica made the wrong call 
and that Congress in 1974 never should have gotten that grand jury testimony, and that this Congress shouldn't get it either. Wow, said the judge, adding, okay, the Justice Department is taking extraordinary positions in this case. And on the subject of Russia, Axios reports that House Democrats also want testimony from Trump's former Russia advisor, Fiona Hill, who disagreed with Trump on how to handle Russia. Stay tuned. A lot of Democratic voters are exhausted now from nearly three years of Trump, and they're calling for those who refuse to cooperate with the impeachment to be locked up. If that's you... Salon.com's Bob Seska would like a word. Thanks, Buzz. Earlier this year, I briefly joined the chorus of angry voices wondering out loud why Nancy Pelosi hadn't endorsed the drumbeat for impeaching Donald Trump, based, of course, on the roadmap outlined in the Mueller report. While I stand by my, duh, uninterrupted support for impeaching the president, I absolutely regret my temporary lack of patience for launching it, and I'll explain why. But first, I'd like to rewind to Tuesday morning when Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland was scheduled to testify before Adam Schiff's Intelligence Committee regarding Ukraine. By the time I sat down at my desk for work, Sondland had already been blocked from testifying by the State Department, well, Trump, really, and the pissed-off tweets directed at the allegedly spineless Democrats were fully underway, led by former Republican operative and current never-Trumper Rick Wilson. Wilson's tweets were predictably caustic. While I find him entertaining and an undeniable expert at what he does, he stupidly and irrationally undermined the reputation of the one party that represents America's only serious choice in next year's general election. Wilson tweeted, quote, The Democrats are terrible at politics, terrible at power, and terrible at communications. He added, quote, They're in a constitutional crisis, and they're playing this like weaklings. Spectacle demands spectacle. Power demands power. They suck at it, unquote. And you know what? It's to be expected from a man without a party like Wilson, who's making an awkward transition away from the GOP on his way to someplace, perhaps the Democratic Party. His destination is unknown, but if it's the Democrats he's seeking as his new political clique, he's got a screwy way of showing it. None of this is to say I liked what he wrote. I didn't, and I let him know how wrong he was. After all, I have an obsessive drive to confront people who I think are wrong on the internet. Nevertheless, Wilson perpetuated one of the most specious and hackish stereotypes about the Democrats that somehow even-keeled adult behavior, especially when contrasted against the ungainly Trump-owned Republican Party, is weak or incompetent, that possessing a vice grip on congressional procedures and the rule of law is somehow the stuff of nerds and doofuses, just waiting in the gym locker to be pants like a human chimera of George McFly and Barney Fife. Clearly, Rick still grappled to some of his old ways, the old myths about his former opposition, despite the exact opposite of what he said being true. The GOP's irresponsible grabassery gave us Trump and Trumpism, vast systemic damage, national humiliation, a constitutional crisis, crushed alliances, emboldened dictators, volatile markets, crippling tariffs, and foreign attacks on our elections. But it's the Democrats who suck at politics? The Republicans have opposed exactly all of the most groundbreaking legislative achievements of the past 100 years, including Medicare, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, the Affordable Care Act, the New Deal, the 2009 stimulus, all of which were passed by Democrats. But it's the Democrats who are terrible at wielding power 
And all of this cookie cutter criticism of the Dems emerged because the Republican president and his Republican ambassador to the EU were too cowardly to allow the testimony to take place. This is a scandal, indeed a roster of scandals, that haven't been met with accountability from the cowardly Republican Congressional Caucus, which, according to Ezra Klein, is so terrified of Trump, and especially his red hat army, they don't want to, quote, make any sudden moves, unquote. Somehow this is the Democrats' responsibility for being too feeble? No, no way. Again, the Democrats didn't cowardly block Sondland from testifying. The brave and fearless Republican president did because he's terrified of what might be uncovered about his criminal quid pro quos with Ukraine and others. Indeed, the Democrats are about to impeach a sitting president for only the third time in American history. That's literally the opposite of capitulation or weakness or whatever Wilson and the others were screeching into the void. I'm not sure what your definition of ballsy is. But I'd say impeachment qualifies. Despite that, Rick Wilson was joined by way too many liberals who piled on to Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, and the others, furiously tweeting about why, oh, why the Democrats are allowing Sondland and Trump to defy another subpoena. There were the same old tropes about tossing Sondland in jail or having him arrested by the sergeant at arms, despite the fact that there's no jail and no real way to detain a witness. Ultimately, the apoplectic demands for jail were based on a false reading of Sondland's scheduled testimony anyway. Specifically, he wasn't subpoenaed. He volunteered to testify. You can't arrest someone for not showing up for a hearing for which he volunteered to appear. Regardless, Schiff quickly issued a subpoena for Sondland as soon as he failed to show. So yes, Schiff acted accordingly and swiftly Per the rules, while anyone who hectored him for not being tough enough looked kind of silly given the facts, don't you think? Meanwhile, Wilson and others insisted that, quote, spectacle demands spectacle. This attitude deserves to be crushed and burned with fire. As soon as the Democrats start acting like Trumpers or a Democratic version of Trumpism, it's game over. And by game, I mean the American Republic. And by over, I mean kaput. We need adults in the room now more than ever, augmenting the worst aspects of the discourse, the screaming, the name-calling, the bug-eyed political theater, the Twitter trolling, will signal the end of all things. As I've explained before, there are duties assigned to each layer of the political debate. You can organize protests. You can scream and stomp. You can tweet day and night. But let the House Democrats do this impeachment business with the sobriety and careful navigation it requires. And by the way, you don't get to complain about the Democrats not doing enough for not being fierce enough if you've never rolled off the couch and into at least one major protest march demanding impeachment and the removal of the president. Irrespective of the screaming online, Nancy Pelosi has handled this quite well. Who knows, without her pragmatism, there might not be such overwhelming majority support for impeachment, especially when it comes to fickle independence. In order to grow this support, the process has to be allowed to occur in accordance with the rules. As soon as this looks like a partisan inquest, support will dissipate. So in the end, while it's good that never Trumpers have chosen to join us in the trenches in opposition to Trump, and it'll be additionally good if we can work together fixing the Trump damage, it's important to remember that never Trumpers used to be Republicans for a reason. And that includes the Democrats are worthless and weak, win-at-all-costs style of politics that fertilize the ground for Trump. Today, we all need to understand and to fully embrace the reality 
that more of this style of politics will only worsen the damage. Behaving like grown-ups who respect the rules is the only way forward or else. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of Mr. Seska at Salon.com, his Patreon page, and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at BobSeska.com. He'll have a fresh show this afternoon. I join Bob on his Tuesday shows. With Trump's permission, Russian-backed Turkey has now invaded Syria and has begun killing our allies, the Kurds. With U.S. support, Kurdish fighters were the foot soldiers in driving ISIS out of Syria. They fought alongside American troops and, in fact, did most of the fighting and dying. We lost six soldiers. The Kurds lost 11,000 people. The Kurds also locked up as many as 11,000 ISIS fighters in a prison near the Turkish border, and those prisoners are likely to be set free now, most of them eager to attack the U.S. They've told reporters this. The Kurds guarding the prison have abandoned it now to fight on the new front lines against Turkey and to protect their own families. At least seven civilians have already died. All with Trump's okay and with his abrupt removal of U.S. soldiers from that crucial part of Syria. ISIS is widely expected to resurge now, with the U.S. and ultimately the Kurds out of the way. The last time Trump announced we're getting out of Syria, it led to the resignation of Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, and the troops stayed. But this time, Trump held to his plan, and within days, U.S. troops had bugged out, and Turkish warplanes purchased from Russia started bombing the Kurdish allies who trusted us, until Trump turned on them days ago. Trump said if Turkey engaged in any unnecessary fighting, it would be devastating for Turkey's economy. Earlier, he'd tweeted he would destroy Turkey, which he weirdly claimed he had done before. That was the tweet in which Trump referred to his great and unmatchable wisdom. Turkey's vice president has since responded that his country would not react to threats. Trump had gone from offering a carrot with a green light for invading Syria and a visit to the White House, and then to the stick of threatening to destroy Turkey economically. This decision to suddenly pull U.S. troops out was made by Trump and Trump alone right after he got off the phone with Turkish President Recep Erdogan, who is backed by Russia. General Joseph Vodal is the former head of U.S. forces in the Middle East, and he says Trump's sudden withdrawal undoes five years of fighting and hurts U.S. credibility. But wait, there's more. Trump also gave Turkey's autocratic president that invitation to the White House, the same honor he'd withheld from Ukraine's president until he got the campaign help he wanted. What was Trump getting this time? And is it related to his Trump Towers in the Turkish capital of Istanbul? The commander-in-chief had made his decision without consulting our allies, the Kurds or any others, and had not even consulted the Pentagon. Democrats and Republicans were shocked at Trump's announcement that the U.S. was, for real this time, pulling its troops out of Syria. Even Republican loyalists like Lindsey Graham were appalled. Trump has now angered the Senate Republicans he needs to avoid impeachment. Trump made this complete U.S. policy reversal after another friendly chat with another friendly autocrat, Turkish President Erdogan. Americans, but especially the world, wondered if the U.S. could ever be counted on again, not to leave to die those who had fought alongside the U.S. The announcement was also a shock at the Pentagon, which also didn't see this coming, and even among Trump's advisors who were, like us, hearing this for the first time. Quoting from the Washington Post, 
The response was brutal. Republican leaders denounced Trump's abandonment of the Kurds and kowtowing to Turkey. Pentagon officials struggled with explanations. Humanitarian workers warned of civilian casualties, and Kurdish commanders said they would abandon the Syrian prisons where they were holding thousands of captured Islamic State fighters and head for the front lines against Turkey, end quote. Before U.S. troops had pulled out, one Kurdish commander sent a message to them saying he knew these decisions were not theirs and that they would always be brothers. U.S. troops were said to be angry about their order to leave Syria. Aside from the nice gift for Putin in the president's decision to let Turkey run roughshod over Syria, there is the prophet. As he said about Turkey in 2015, I have a little conflict of interest there. It's called Trump Towers. So it's Putin plus prophets. For the first time since Trump appointed two justices, one of them Brett Kavanaugh, to the U.S. Supreme Court, that court will make a ruling now on abortion rights. It will also, this session, rule on gun control, immigration, and the rights of LGBTQ citizens. Specifically, can a person legally be fired for being a member of the LGBTQ community? And it will announce its decisions just before the start of the Democratic Presidential Nominating Convention in July. The High Court will review a Louisiana law that would close most abortion clinics, leaving just one available doctor for the entire state. Whatever the Supreme Court decides in these cases will drive voters to the polls over these issues and over the issue of conservative control of the court. It could also be a busy season for Chief Justice John Roberts, who would also preside over a Senate impeachment trial. The former Dallas cop who shot a man to death after entering the wrong apartment was sent to prison, but the story is far from over. Now, one of the witnesses in the case has been murdered, and Dallas police say Joshua Brown was killed by three men who had driven 400 miles to buy weed from Brown, who was not a known drug user. The timing of Brown's death has raised suspicions about police that perhaps the three men were gunmen hired by officers angry about the limited Amber Geiger verdict, and that perhaps the men arrested in Brown's killing are part of a police cover-up. Dallas police deny this, insisting it was a drug deal that went sideways. They say they found 12 pounds of marijuana in Brown's apartment. After 200 years, meanwhile, Montgomery, Alabama has just elected its first African-American mayor, and by a landslide. Stephen Reed had already served as the county's first black probate judge. The opponent, Reed Beat Soundly, was the owner of the local Fox TV affiliate. Montgomery, Alabama was once the capital of the Confederacy and the birthplace of the Civil Rights Movement. Its population is about 60% black. 200 years later, it has its first black mayor. President Trump, please listen, cried the mother of a 19-year-old killed in a motorcycle accident by the wife of an American diplomat driving on the wrong side of the road in Great Britain. And then that American diplomatic wife fled the country. She has since returned to the U.S., which is why this British mother was on camera pleading with the current U.S. leader. We are a family in ruin, pled the dead young man's mother. We're broken. We can't grieve. Please, please let her come back to the U.K. She needs to face justice and see what she's done. Even if Anne Sokolas had never left the U.K., she, like other diplomats in other countries around the world, enjoys diplomatic immunity from prosecution in those other countries. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson pledged to speak with the White House about this case 
and to return the U.S. diplomat's wife to Britain. Immunity is almost never waived. Millions of people in Northern California are without power this week in more than six dozen counties. The electric company switched off the juice during a period of sustained high winds. PG&A may restore the power tonight. It's the combination of downed power lines and high winds that sparked and spread California's deadliest wildfires over the past two years. And now that Pacific Gas and Electric has been blamed, sued, and fined for the death and destruction caused by those fires, the utility's now not taking any chances, even if it means disrupting millions of dollars in business, since businesses cannot operate without electricity. Businesses and citizens alike are angry. That means Californians will now, from time to time, be without electricity. The latest symptom of a changing climate. During a campaign trip to a retirement village in the crucial 2020 state of Florida, Trump unveiled his answer to the Medicare for All health care plan that's preferred by progressive Democrats. Trump calls his program protecting Medicare from socialist destruction. He said the Medicare for All preferred by Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Beto O'Rourke would, quote, raid Medicare to fund socialism and totally obliterate the system. Did we mention it was a campaign stop? Among other things, Trump's plans begin to privatize the Medicare program by expanding the Medicare Advantage plans. A new STD epidemic, pole dancers and pickpockets, and you've never seen so many bras. In the final segment, after this. Again, thank you very much for listening and for supporting my work. As I've said before, this newscast is free to you, but it's not free to make. If you'd like to contribute to this effort, please click on the PayPal Donate button in the upper right at buzzburbank.com or on your phone just below the title Buzz Burbank News and Comment. And there's still a little Amazon button on my page. If you're shopping Amazon anyway, going through my page and bookmarking that still helps. Thank you so much to those of you who have actively supported this independent news. The number of syphilis cases in the U.S. had mostly just fallen since 1941. But that number's been heading back up over the past five years. A new report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows there's been a sharp rise in the number of babies born with syphilis. And it's not just syph that hit an all-time high last year. The number of gonorrhea cases are at an all-time high. The same for chlamydia. Alaska had the highest rate of chlamydia cases. Mississippi was number one for gonorrhea. And Nevada ranked first in both primary and secondary syphilis. About two and a half million cases of STDs were reported in the U.S. just this past year. Health experts call it a preventable epidemic. People, it seems, have backed off their use of condoms. We learned from doctors at the Mayo Clinic this past week that the lung damage in certain vapors resembles lung damage from exposure to a toxic chemical or even chemical warfare gases. The lung tissue examined at Mayo came from 17 victims of this damage, people who had vaped either nicotine, THC, or both. There have been nearly 1,000 cases of this lung illness now in 48 states. Most have been related to vaping THC, perhaps all, truth be told. The docs at Mayo say it's too soon to tell if these people will ever heal. Other researchers say they've now found pesticides in illegal black market vaping products. I did not report on the recent study that claimed that the links are weak between meat consumption and the deadly illnesses including cancer and heart disease. Sometimes you just know. 
We have since learned that the author of that study that got so much media attention everywhere last week except here failed to disclose that researcher's ties to the meat industry. He did not check the box on his disclosure form for admitting to a conflict of interest despite those ties. The average American drive to work is up to nearly a half hour long now. Average one-way commute times were up by two minutes in the past 10 years, but the average commute is now 20 minutes longer than it was just a short 10 years ago. Things began to spin out of control in 1980-something. Since 1980, Americans have lost an hour a week to their commutes. Over the course of the year, that extra commute time adds up to an extra entire work week. As of last year, there are now well over 4 million workers with commutes of 90 minutes or more. Studies have shown people with longer commutes are also more often inclined to obesity and high blood pressure. At least one study has shown workers are more dedicated to their work when they're working at home. The New York Police Department sent undercover agents to the movies this past week. Despite the wise security precautions at theaters around the country, the only mayhem ignited so far by the movie Joker was at the ticket window. Still, it's been described as a deeply disturbing movie that elicits sympathy for a white guy who's been marginalized and becomes a mass murderer and subsequently a hero. It opened on well over 4,000 screens in the U.S. and Canada this past week, making $13 million on its opening night and $94 million on the week. For previews of all the movies out there, plus theater showtimes and tickets, please triple-click the Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. We lost three entertainers we were quite fond of this week. Actress Diane Carroll passed at the age of 84 in her home in Los Angeles after a long battle with breast cancer. She was the first African-American woman to star in a non-stereotypical role on her own primetime network TV series, Julia, which premiered in 1986 on NBC. Carol also played Dominique Devereaux in the 1980s ABC show Dynasty, making her the first prominently featured African-American on a primetime soap opera. And later, she was Jane Burke on Grey's Anatomy. Diane Carroll was also the first black woman to win a Tony Award as Best Actress in the 1962 Broadway show No Strings. She could sing, and she did so in the 1959 movie Porgy and Bess. Married four times over, she is survived by a daughter. A wacky and flamboyant staple of our TV childhoods, comedian Rip Taylor passed this week at the age of 84 following hospitalization for a seizure. He was born Charles Elmer Taylor Jr., but in the 1970s, he was rip-roaringly funny on TV game shows, including Hollywood Squares, Match Game, and The Gong Show. Later, he played himself in The Simpsons and the movie Wayne's World 2. Clouds of brightly colored confetti flew wherever Rip was. A veteran of the Korean War, Taylor got his TV start on The Ed Sullivan Show. He was abused and bullied as a child, but said he figured out they won't hit you if they're laughing, Rip Taylor is survived by his longtime partner, Robert Fortney. Legendary rock drummer Ginger Baker of Cream had an explosive temper, but he also had talent that inspired a generation of drummers. That single drum beat that starts Cream's white room sets the tone for the song. Guns, tax charges, and bankruptcies littered his life. Addicted to heroin and squandering his fortunes, Ginger Baker once called Mick Jagger a musical moron. 
He considered himself a jazz drummer and hated the label rock drummer. He once told the Wall Street Journal, when people put drummers like John Bonham and Keith Moon in the same bag as me, it's really insulting. Baker died in a care home in Canterbury, England, Sunday at the age of 80. The University of Kansas wasn't expecting pole dancers, profanity, and a gun that fired fake $100 bills when it hired hip-hop artist Snoop Dogg to do a half-hour show after scrimmages by KU's men's and women's basketball teams. But profanity, pole dancers, and a money gun is what the school got, and the institution of higher learning is now apologizing for all of it. 16,300 people were inside Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas last Friday to see the show. Quoting KU's athletic director, we strive to create a family atmosphere and fell short of that. Quoting him, I didn't know there was going to be anything like that. A high school football coach in Clovis, New Mexico, has been fired and faces criminal charges after he was captured on cell phone video stealing 40 bucks from the wallet of one of his players and stuffing the cash into his socks. He was arrested by state police after they saw that video, which had been shot by one of the coach's other players. 37-year-old Christopher Bergen flew more than 4,000 miles from his home in Norway to the Florida Panhandle. He had made that trip as a birthday surprise for his father-in-law, who was turning 62. At 11.30 p.m. one night last week, Bergen banged on the stepdad's door, jumped into the bushes to hide. When he popped out to yell surprise, Bergen's father-in-law fired a shot straight through the younger man's heart, killing him. Calling it a tragic accident, the Santa Rosa County Sheriff does not plan to file criminal charges against the father-in-law. To raise breast cancer awareness, some women in Rhode Island are out to set a world record for the longest chain of bras. They've managed to link 20,000 bras so far, some of which were autographed by celebrities, including John Cusack, Kiefer Sutherland, and Hulk Hogan. And they hope to make the chain 200,000 bras. Australia currently holds the bra-linking record with 166,625. But you probably already knew that. A family vacationing on the beach in South Carolina's Fripp Island loaded a 44-pound package onto the back of their rented golf cart and took it back to their rented beach house to see what was inside. Slicing open layers of trash bags that wrapped the package they had found washed up on the beach were bricks of cocaine worth more than $600,000. Since it is rare for smuggled drugs to wash up in South Carolina, officials figure it may have been pushed ashore by Hurricane Dorian. It was like Miami Vice off the coast of Spain. Three cops were chasing suspected drug traffickers at sea this week when the cops' boat spun out of control and smashed into the side of the suspect's boat. The collision dumped the officers into the sea. They were rescued by the suspected drug smugglers. All four rescuers were arrested after officials found 80 bundles of hashish weighing more than three tons. So it's doubtful their good deed will help them much in court. And finally, it's October, and I think we all know what that means. The annual underwater pumpkin carving contest off the coast of Florida in a competition for a free dive trip to Key Largo, each year in the Atlantic waters off Key West, two dozen scuba divers in teams of two take their big orange fruit and carving knives below the surface to create jack-o'-lanterns. This is trickier than it sounds. 
since pumpkins float. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and your support through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.